receives him who sent because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Kevin, let me pray for you. Father, we come before you. We're we're thankful for your word to us. Um, God, you use these passages to shape our hearts um, to pursue you. Uh, God, would you show us more clearly who Jesus is through this uh, passage in the sermon this morning? Um, God, we lift up Kevin to you today. Um, Would you have already been working through his study and his writing this past week? Uh, Would you be working in his words that we would hear and obey? God, would you uh, be with his vocal cords, that he would not be uh, losing his voice from uh, cheering so loud yesterday at the game. Sustain him today. Um, God, we praise you. We thank you for everything. Uh, And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. I'll encourage you, don't miss next week. Um, We have a, we don't have a lot of guest speakers in Karis because we have a number of preachers, but next week, a friend of mine, um, he actually used to be in my youth group back in the day, Patrick Schreiner, who's a professor at Midwestern Seminary and author of a number of books, um, will be here next Sunday joining us. Um, he's going to be talking about, from First Peter, but talking about um, his approach, um, his Christian approach to um, engaging in politics, and I think you're going to find it refreshing, I think you're going to find it engaging, so, so come back uh, next Sunday at tend to hear hear Patrick preach. Well, you might be wondering, you know, I expect you probably are, just um, why my hair and beard always look so good. Um, Every Saturday, uh, we have this um, routine in our home where my wife, and she has for some time, she cuts my hair and trims my beard. but post-chemo and, and radiation treatments for her, um, she's been dealing with a lot of weakness and she has a, a significant amount of pain um, and she doesn't enjoy doing it as much as she used to. I'm not sure if he, she ever enjoyed doing it, um, but we have this, this weekly Saturday shtick that, that goes right with it where I say, thank you, and she responds with, not my pleasure. Um, <laughs> With her physical condition now, um, there are weeks when we both fear that um, she's going to lose her concentration or maybe lose her balance a little bit, and then she makes an error, and then poof, there goes the beard. Uh, so you can, you can pray for our relationship, my um, beard on Saturdays at around noon, and you can also pray that you never, ever have to see me baby-faced, okay? Trust me. Now... Beards have perhaps been, had too much of a prominent place in Kara. Some have even asked at times if having a, a biblical beard was a requirement for eldership. No. See, see Jeff, babyface Carson over there? But in the, in the ancient Near East, beards were not a minor deal. And what you did with them could be highly symbolic, actually. You'd shave them off. Maybe you've noticed in the Bible if you were mourning, Otherwise, you just let them grow and grow. But if you really wanted to humiliate someone, you'd, you'd go and shave it off for them. And that's what we see in the Old Testament back in 2 Samuel chapter 10. The king of the Ammonites dies, and David, he wants to keep up uh, good diplomatic relations with that nation. 
So he sent some emissaries there to express his condolences, but the advisors of that new king, this man named Hanan, um, they convince him that David's men are actually there to do them harm, to spy, to destroy. And so Hanan's soldiers do two things to David's men. They shave off half their beards. We think it was probably like vertically right down here. And then they go and they slash a big section, it seems, out of the back of their pants, right down the middle. There, there's no mistaking there what those actions communicate, the, the cutting off of diplomatic relations, a declaration of war against David, but what it does is it really humiliates those men and the, the ambassadors of, of David, they, they walk away completely ashamed. Now you might wonder um, what this has to do with the passage we just read. Um, if it were me, I'd be thinking the same thing. I'll get to that, but we've been walking for many weeks here in in Matthew chapter 10, and in this chapter, Christ is sending out his disciples, he's sending out his ambassadors on this mission, and he's been preparing them, we've we've been seeing this for the, the persecution that awaits them. They'll go out as sheep in the midst of wolves, says verse 16. And it would be easy for them, and, and certainly for us, to think that it's not worth what it costs, that only failure and shame await us along that road, that we're set up to lose, that there's only gonna be bad news, and that we'll maybe come back from that mission with some really bad haircuts and some massive holes in our pants. Jesus understands, and for that reason, he wraps up this, this teaching with some encouragement. That's what we hear in these um, words here in chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Now, when I first read these words, I, I was scratching my head and I thought it was going to be one of those weeks, and there, there are these weeks where I was going to pull out all the, the hairs I have left on my head, but the more I read it, the more I consulted some helps, the clearer it became. And here, I think, is the reality. As we, as we go out on this mission for him, we can doubt. We can believe that how we're treated doesn't really matter but Jesus wants us to hear that that's, that's just very much not the case. What, yeah, what I want you to hear this morning is that how they receive you and me says something. It does. It says two different somethings, actually, according to Jesus here. It displays how they receive their triune God, and it forecasts the way they'll be received by him. How they welcome us and our message, it says something about them, and it shouts this massive word of encouragement over us. So first, how they receive us displays how they receive our trying God. Look at verse 40 again. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Now, at first read, this can kind of get our brain in knots, but if we think about it a little bit, it's not that hard to at least comprehend what's Jesus saying here. Let's take, a, let's take a phrase at a time. Whoever receives you receives me. So Jesus is saying to those disciples, saying to us again, after he's been warning about how hard things would be, when someone receives you, when they welcome you, you as a person, and your message that you bring, when they receive you into their lives, when they bring you into their homes, when they're hospitable to you, when they listen to what you have to say, they're not just welcoming you, 
They're welcoming me. Now, when you think about that, that's kind of mind-blowing. I'd say heart-exploding because it's so encouraging. But it goes further. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So when people receive Jesus, they're also receiving his Father. That's who sent Jesus, right? So we see two there of three persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son, God and three person are, are triune God. When people receive you and me, as we bring to them the gospel, they're also receiving Jesus. And when they receive Jesus, they're also receiving the Father. Now I've got some teenagers now, and I've heard this line, I've said it, you've said it, especially when it comes to math, no offense, but when am I ever, ever actually going to use this stuff, Dad? Come on. Or usually it's Mom, because that's her strength, and I don't have as much patience. But what are we going to do with this? Well, here you go, guys. Um, you've probably heard of the transitive property, right? It's, of course, the hardest math, con math concept. Not really. When people receive us, A, they're also receiving Jesus. B, and people, when people receive Jesus, B, they also receive the Father, C, okay? Don't get caught up in why we're A and the Father, C. Come on, I'm just going in order of the verse. But the point is A equals C. When people receive us as a people with a message, they're also somehow receiving the Father. That's pretty wild, right? Think with me about what all this means, though. It says something about Jesus, and it says something about the church. There are a couple of things that people say today. Um, they're not new, very much fit in the, the time when this was written, but they fit with our age. The first is this, right? Jesus is just one of the many paths where you can make your way to God. Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed, whoever, pick your path. It's good. But no, Jesus is saying, Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And of course, the opposite is true. When you reject Jesus, you're also rejecting the Father who sent him. So it goes right along with what Jesus says in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's another thing that's so commonly said today. I love Jesus, but I don't want to get near the church, right? And I understand, you know, if you've been at Karis more than once, you've heard my heart that I've grieved a lot as I've seen the way the church has acted in America over recent years. I mean, I'm part of the problem. I'm a, I'm a sinner too, but we just haven't been the best representatives of the, our king as of late. I get that. But Jesus won't let us stay there, right? Because he says these words, whoever receives you receives me. What? Yeah, whoever receives you receives me. So when people receive us, the church of God, Jesus says, I didn't say this. He says they're also receiving him. And of course, the opposite also fits. Whoever won't receive the people of God, the church, also will not receive him. Have you ever thought about that before? Has that ever hit you that Jesus identifies so closely with us? 
you know, we are called the body in scripture, right? And he's the head. It doesn't get much closer than that. But it reminds me what Paul says when he tells his story three different times in Acts and he's knocked down on that road on the way to Damascus and Jesus calls out to him. And do you remember what he says? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? To persecute one of the people of God is tantamount to persecuting Jesus himself. Now, that apostle later, he writes many, you know, most of the letters we have in the New Testament. There's this phrase that he repeats over and over that you, you've probably heard. He describes God's people commonly as in Christ, where we're in union with him. That's how closely he identifies with us. Again, that extends to the Father. Again, the transitive property. No, you can't hate the church and say you love Jesus or the Father. And that's a message that the persecutors need to hear, but also it's a word for us, for those who can at times be persecuted. He's with us. He's for us. He's got our backs. This verse also reminds us of our role as his people. We are sent by him as representatives of our king. John says that over in in John 20, 21. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus and let every heart prepare him room. Jesus has sent us and the world should welcome us his church in just the same way. But here again is the point Christ is making. How they receive us displays how they receive him, our triune God. It's clear, that's what he's telling us. Now, you might have heard this expression before if you've been in church at all. When it comes to sharing our faith, you're just the mailman. John, Bobby, Laura, You're just the mailman, right? You got this letter, you're carrying this message. If they bite you, you know, like that that feared dog along the route, don't take it personally, right? It's it's not about you, it's it's really about the, no, it's really about them. You're, You're the messenger, so as T. Swift would say, shake it off, right? But I think we should take it further than that because you and I were also ambassadors of him. So it's even more significant. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. We're ambassadors, we're emissaries, we're diplomats for him. Maybe for one of us here, that'll, that'll someday be our job where we go represent our country. We carry her message to some other land. We represent the president, we represent our leaders. And how they respond to us in that role is how they also respond to them, to our leaders. If they welcome us, they're also welcoming our country. And Carson, that's the way it is with our king. We go and proclaim his reign. We invite all to come to immigrate in. That's our calling, that's our task. We're his representatives in the world not just carrying a message in our hands, really bearing a message with our lives of what the king can do in the life of sinners like you and me, and then they have to respond to that. 
And as they receive or as they reject you and me, our message of grace, they're really saying something about themselves and about their relationship to him. This is an honor, right? Far greater than representing any other country on earth, but it also grants us incredible freedom because it's all about him. It's not really about us. And the results come from him. The the pressure's off. It's not based on how well we do, and that's so encouraging. It can sustain us in any struggle. So how they receive us displays how they receive our triune God. It says something about them and our deity. But it also says something about them and their destiny. Let's move on to the next thing that this passage says to us. Second, how they receive us forecasts how they'll be received by him. Verses 41 and 42. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now again, this is pretty confusing on the surface, right? Prophets, righteous people, little ones, I mean, what? Who? What's this talk of a reward? Well, First of all, it seems that Jesus is calling his people, us, three different things here. The disciples back then, the disciples today. You, me, Christians in the world. It seems, I think, he's calling us prophets first. When we hear that title, we usually think of someone who's predicting things that will come. Usually in the Bible, I mean, that's sometimes part of it, but usually in the Bible, it's, it's emphasizing more speaking on behalf of someone, proclaiming someone's message. That's what the prophets in the Old Testament do, right? That's what we do as well. It's what we're called by Jesus. We're prophets who go and speak truth, herald the gospel for a king. He's also labeling you and me, if we're in Christ, a righteous person. If we trust Jesus The gospel is that his righteous life is given to us. His sacrificial death, it washes us clean. We not only speak a message, we live it out. He he calls us righteous. He begins to make us righteous, little by little, to look like him. He's also calling us little ones there in verse 42. You know, calling us prophets, that that really denotes our responsibility, but calling us little ones really describes, I think, our vulnerability. Jesus here also, he, he seems to move in kind of a descending order in these titles, descending also in terms of their dignity. Three times in Matthew, Jesus talks about what he calls the least of these. He's talking about his disciples. Disciples who suffer. Over in Matthew 25, you may be familiar with this this extended passage um, where Christ says to us, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. A few pages before in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us that we should have faith like what? Like a, a little child. The little ones will enter the kingdom, he says. The least will be called greatest in this this new world that's ahead. 
And when he, then he says these words that sound a lot like, I think, these here in, from verse five. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So Karis, we're his little ones. And that's this tender name that he gives for one who's his disciple. Matthew 10, 42 tells us, he's our dad. We're his precious kids, he cares. So this is who our king says we are. We're, as his citizens, we're prophets who proclaim him. We're righteous people who display him. We're little ones who desperately need him. And he cares deeply about how people interact with us. Well, second, then what's the reward stuff that Jesus keeps talking about here? It seems that it's salvation, that it's the, the kingdom of heaven here. If we trust Jesus, that is what is ahead for us. It's also what we can begin to experience now. And Jesus says clearly, he says to the world here, receive us and receive him, but as you do, you'll also receive this reward. He says, welcome God's children, and you'll be welcomed yourself into the kingdom of heaven. He even says in verse 42 again, do even the, the smallest little thing for my kids. Show even just a little bit of hospitality to those that I love. Give one of my precious ones even just a, the most basic, basic thing, a cup of cold water. And I, he says, will never forget it. There's a reward there that will not be lost. Well, think with me about what all this could mean. Doesn't it say something about the gospel we share and, and about our calling as Christians? The gospel, we carry this amazing news of this, this staggering reward of being with our Lord in a new heavens and a new earth and experiencing life forever in his kingdom. But of course, most of all, he is the reward. God is the gospel. We get an eternity to spend with our king. Of course, it's easy to resist today um, this idea, and, and, and just proclaim that this is something that everyone is going to experience. You know, all roads lead to heaven, everyone will be saved, but that's not what Jesus says. The good news, the reward is for those who receive Christ, and again, how they receive us. What's our calling again? To go out and dispense the rewards of our King. Again, a mind-boggling thing, pretty breathtaking. As the Lord says over in Matthew 16, 19, he gives us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Think about that, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys, I know that sounds weird, but it's not that far from what we're seeing here in Matthew 10. Receive us, the prophets, the righteous men and women, the little ones, and they'll also receive the rewards we get. So how they respond to us is in a sense what gets them in the door. Today in our world, again, people say you shouldn't try to change others' beliefs. Everything else is tolerated, but that won't be. It's the quickest way to get shunned or mocked. But Christianity has, has always been a missionary faith. And it's the most loving thing we could do because eternal life and joy are both on the line. 
So we're sent by him with the salvation of the kingdom. We're heralds of the rewards that are free for those who believe. And it's not just that we point to the way. In a sense, as we go out in the world, we, we end up being the way because he uses us as his means. How they receive us shows how he'll receive them. Christ is saying here, treat others, treat them as you want to be, retreat, as you want to be treated. Do you, want re, do you want hospitality from me? Show it to them. Want a room in my forever home? Then you better make a place for my missionaries now. Back to working as an ambassador again. How that other country responds really matters, right? Welcome what is said Financial assistance might come. You may gain an ally in a war that would come. Respect will be rewarded. But show disrespect and things are not going to go well. You might get tariffs or something like that. You may even get a war coming your way. Punch the mailman. The feds will be coming to your door. Dis a diplomat and you may soon meet your doom. How people respond to us truly matters. It's life or death. It's heaven or hell. Receive us and great reward will be theirs. Right alongside us, reject us, and it'll all slip away. Again, this is a great privilege for us to point the way to life, to reward, but it's also a massive responsibility because we have to represent him well, we have to share the message faithfully. But how they receive us forecasts how they'll be received by him. It says something about them and their destiny. Here's a question, though, that came to mind as I was studying this. Maybe it has to you. If all of this is true, then how can we stay humble? Right? This, this is weighty stuff here. I think it could be easy for this to go to our heads, but it shouldn't if we keep these three things in mind. Our task will keep us humble, or at least it should, right? As we go out on a mission, if we live like Christ and speak his words, if we take risks, we're gonna get hated, we're gonna get beaten down, and that'll keep us humble. Our title here should also make us humble. Jesus calls us his little ones here. We're vulnerable, right? We are. He wants us to remember who we are. We're his little kids. We're nothing amazing. We're nothing powerful. And looking at our teacher should keep us humble as well. Jesus didn't walk around. He didn't strut around with a swagger, you know, twirling the, the keys to the kingdom around his finger, you know, looking down his nose. He was gentle and lowly. He ended up dying a humiliating death. These words should encourage us, but they should not make us proud because it's not our greatness that's getting any rewards. It's all his. Back to that reward. So my voice is kind of struggling today, right? Because of all the yelling at the game, I did my part, helped win the, the victory for sure. The final field goal went through the uprights. Everyone rushed on the field, and I did too. Yeah, full disclosure, there was shouting, there was celebrating, and it made me think of this reward that's ahead. 
One day when the groom comes for his bride, when we sit down at the wedding feast of the lamb, we'll be eating and drinking and and dancing and singing and, and just shouting and celebrating. And that's what's ahead. So much greater than what happened after that game. We also get to take other people with us. We get to make disciples. We get to share this reward. Our king, our kingdom. His kingdom with them. But again, as we, as we follow Jesus in this, it's not going to be easy. If we try to live in these ways, if we try to put ourselves out there, there's no doubt that we'll often get beaten down. We'll walk through the trials that Jesus warns about here, and it'll be so easy to just think that he doesn't care. But how we're treated matters. The king loves us, his kids. He definitely has our backs, Karis. So be encouraged, family. You represent Jesus. Their response, how they receive you and your message, it matters to him. Their relationship with him, the rewards they will receive, it's all at stake. The king loves us. His kids, he has our backs. He does. I think about my family My wife is a very loving and kind woman, but if you mess with her kids, she turns into a mama bear. No no doubt, you do not want to mess with her. I think about my oldest son, and one thing that makes me really proud about um, Hadley is just how tender and loving he can be with his, his little sister. My younger son is starting to pick that up as well. The way he treats her, the way he thinks about his mom, um, just so protective, just so, in a good way, defensive. That doesn't begin to compare to the way the Lord looks and how he thinks about us, right? He he sees you, prophet of God. He's with you, righteous disciple. He is for you, little one. He knows the risks you're taking. He knows the wounds you're experiencing for him. He cares, and he's going to make it all right, Your risk will be rewarded. Your pain will be healed. Your wounds will be avenged. Your honor will be vindicated. So go out and represent him. And as you do, remember these words, these fairly obscure words here in Matthew 10. Students, enter your classes as you take risks for him. When you talk about Jesus to the person you're sitting next to, or maybe when you mention the gospel in a presentation you're making, you will likely get some abuse but he's got you. At your workplace, as you speak up for him, as you bring up your faith, as you hold out the hope that you have, you'll no doubt get pain, but he promises relief to you. He won't forget. We have a family from Karis, the H family. They're over in North Africa. The, The Swansons got to visit them recently this year. Predominantly Muslim country. Christianity is not welcomed Sharing Jesus isn't allowed. They're over there, though, sharing his love, just bringing goodness to those people. But what they're doing could get them bounced, and what they're doing could get them even beheaded. But those that hurt them will be held accountable for that, and if the people there, that people group, if they receive our dear friends, they'll be rewarded by God. The king loves us. We're his kids He has our backs. 
There's one thing that I kind of jumped over here and something I don't want us to just assume because I think it's really important. Jesus talks here like people will receive us. Right, we can, we can just kind of get in this kind of woe is me and life's gonna be terrible kind of mindset here from reading everything we've been through. He talks like people will receive us, right? They'll receive us, they'll receive him and his father. People will listen, people will become Christians and they'll receive us as prophets. They'll, they'll see us as righteous persons, as little ones here and they'll get this reward They'll get our God with us. And so my question is, do we really believe that? Do we believe this? Because if we did, we would go, I think, and make disciples in hope. Well, our next sermon in in Matthew, it'll be a couple of weeks um, because Patrick will be here next week, but we'll jump from this sermon by Jesus and we'll go into another cycle in Matthew where we see stories about him But let's not forget all we've learned from him here as we've walked through in Matthew chapter 10 in this sermon. He's sending us out. It's going to be hard. But as we go, we can know that he's not going to leave us hanging. In the words of Psalm 25.3, none who wait for you, wait for him, shall be put to shame. Back to that story about David's men and those, those beards. The king tells those men to hang out in Jericho, a town kind of on the way in between, until their whiskers grow fully back. So he's protecting them then from shame of going back. The Ammonites, they realize really quickly that they've made a really bad mistake. And so they scramble, they they hire out some Syrians, which seems like a theme in the Bible, and it never works out well when you hire the Syrians. They try to hire them to give them a hand and they end up running from David's army and they're defeated. Messing with those men was messing with the king and David of Israel and his armies ended up cutting them in half. He defends his men, those he had deployed. A few chapters before that story there in in 2 Samuel 10, the Lord makes this promise to his king. Chapter 7 that he would put one of his descendants on the throne and that son would reign there forever and ever and that, of course, is Jesus, the better, the greater David, our king. So, Carlos, we can be confident he will defend his own even more than David back then. We will not ultimately be ashamed. We don't need to go and defend ourselves. That's his job and he's got it under control. What they do to us is what they're doing to him. How they treat us is how they'll be treated by him. The son of David, the Messiah, King Jesus, he sees you. He's with you. He's for you. So go take risks for him. We're deployed and we're defended by him. So let that encourage us. We represent our king, their response, how they receive us and our message. It matters and it matters deeply to him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, um, for your love. It just seems like as we read and dig into your Bible, um, it just seems like every time that we don't even know the, we can't even begin to scratch the surface of how much 
you love us and how kind you are, what your affection for us really means. I pray that that would soak into us, Lord, that that would um, embolden us, that would move us, um, a response um, to live for you in ways that we've never tried and couldn't imagine. Lord, we're, th- we're thankful in this world of, of trials that there is hope for us, and ahead um, there isn't shame. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.